Hello and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman, also called H. And I'm Ryan Quintel, also called Q. You've been very quiet in the pre-show recording because I guess you had some sort of a bomb to drop on me or something. I don't know what you got cooking up. Uh, you you may have a second thought as to your choice of words there because I, oh. uh, over the long weekend, we recently celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. I, over the long weekend, contracted some sort of viral infection, H. Hmm. And I, <laughs> okay. I don't know if it's from some government shutdown beef. <laughs> <laughs> or or what but I, I i did learn over the break that the government is not quite inspecting uh food the way that mm. they totally should be it's true as you start digging digging around um yeah so during the shutdown look out just wash everything two three times to make sure everything's cooked all the way through but i don't know what the source is man but uh to paint an ungraphic picture Bombs have been dropped. I have been mm. in and out of the bathroom for three days, and uh, I'm I'm shedding pounds, but uh, not the way that I would like to be. So. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Well, <sighs> I guess we'll keep today's uh, recording snappy then, and uh, I will not let it interrupt the show. It is the um, just a few days after the launch of Kingdom Hearts Three. This this great. Uh, intermedia tie-in of uh, Disney and Final Fantasy finally coming to an end, I'm, I'm sure, right? <laughs> this is the end? It has to be at <laughs> yeah, this point, yeah. right? And every story beat will be satisfyingly wrapped up or already has been satisfyingly wrapped up. It's been a, it's been a good year for um, these crossover type of entries. We got Super Smash Bros. We got Kingdom Hearts. We got... Uh, that unbreakable sequel, you know, it's just everything that uh, that we love comes <laughs> mm-hmm. to a conclusion in, in the most unexpected ways possible. Satisfying way. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> we went for two different adjectives there, but both can be true. <laughs> uh, let's get to our own video game pitches. What I'm coming in with today is a, uh, like a Monster Hunter type game, but instead of running around in these big open worlds, you are free-falling, you're skydiving through the sky, and you're taking out all these flying creatures. And basically, you have to uh, hop on top of them and grapple them and fight them and try to hold on while they try to shake you off and, and, uh, and kill them, ride them higher potentially, and, you know, and then jump to another creature. And uh, the, the skies are kind of full of these things, but eventually... You know, you do hit the ground, and that is the end of your run. Yeah, essentially, you're just trying to, uh, I don't know, maybe even craft weapons. It could be a roguelike type thing, where every run is its own game, essentially, without progress carrying over. You know, you're just trying to uh, to clear the skies. So, let's go ahead and start the clock. I uh, We pitch run-based games often in, the, in on this show, and I feel like not enough get made or maybe not enough <laughs> mainstream ones that I know about get made. Not enough of the ones that we pitch end up getting made. It's a shame. <laughs> yes, exact spot on. So I love this idea and I I actually might have some run based elements. We'll see how mine goes as well. Well you've already told us about your run based <laughs> elements. <Your Yes>. runs. <laughs> My runs based <laughs> elements uh will be in the pitch. Uh so <laughs> how do you imagine like stringing together, clearing the skies uh, looks like is there there are certain like puzzle games that will demand that you uh, connect a match or complete some 
meaningful amount of progress within a certain amount of time to kind of keep your combo chain going? Is that sort mm-hmm. of like the the uh, whether literal or non-literal fuel to stay afloat here? I, I don't know if I'm super concerned about like chaining things together because I think it's going to be such a fight for your life every moment that you're in the game mm-hmm. and you're always kind of progressing downwards towards the earth that uh, eventually runs will end. You know, I just, I want something like a uh, different sizes of enemies, like the, uh, you know, something as small as like a lower level creature that you would fight in um, Dragon's Dogma, which allows you to kind of grapple your enemies and climb around them and stab the most uh, opportune points. Uh, does something that's as big as something you would find in Shadow of the Colossus. So maybe you wow. kind of land on this giant kind of flying snake monster, and it is almost like an entire stage in and of itself. And so, you know, you can't necessarily, it might not, um, you know, you can maybe persuade it in certain ways to ascend, to gain you a little bit more altitude, because ultimately that is what is going to end your run um, if you uh, if you hit the ground. But uh Eventually, you know, everything does come down and uh, you just kind of need to, there's always something else to jump to as long as you can get there. And I just wanted to be kind of procedural. Uh, Lots of creatures out there to choose from. Some of them are very fast and difficult to land on properly. Some of them are are slow and and easy to mount, but uh, yeah, you know, lots of opportunities. So I have to kind of earn my mount at the beginning of each run? It's not so much that you have a mount as... You land on a creature, you kill that creature, and you know whether you can uh, maybe get a little bit of uh, of altitude while during the fight, you know, by pulling it upwards or something instead of you know plunging it down. Um, you know, you don't have uh, the ability to fly yourself. Maybe you can craft like a glider to help you gain more kind of horizontal distance, uh, but you are you know, just jumping from thing to thing. Okay. So one of the things that you you know, I've been playing a little Assassin's Creed Odyssey lately. And one of the things that that game does is when I picked my horse, they let you sort of, they present you three horse options at the beginning of the game. <laughs> Again, very, it's red dead, but in like all the weirdest ways. Uh, so they say, this is going to be your horse. And then the, the horse that I picked, the, character i don't know if this is this comes with the whole game and every choice gets this but the character said hey just so you know there's some weirdness about this breed are you sure you want to take this horse i don't know if the video game's job was to cast doubt on my on my sort of uh, choice or what and it just does that and that's fun and it's in that character's uh, personality because what happens when you defeat one of these creatures? Is there like a vehicle or something for you to kind of get around on? Or every time you land, is it on a different creature that you're kind of controlling? Well, you know, it's kind of like a, like you're skydiving, you know? Um, so you have the ability to almost like, not quite like wingsuit mobility, but, mm. you know, you lean in different directions, like... Uh, like at the beginning of a Fortnite match or something like that. And so every creature you're landing on, as you get further and further to the surface of the planet, they're getting larger and more complicated? Maybe. Um, maybe it's like, we don't really have anything to compare it to in mm. the natural like <laughs> sky world. But if we think about the ocean, like the biggest creatures are the ones that are down deepest. And so it would be interesting 
Although that does kind of like it makes if you put the the biggest creatures highest up, it makes the game less interesting as it goes. So I, I kind of just want like a even mix of them throughout, maybe. I really like the idea of being able to see the creatures from one of your existing jumps. So you jump, you land on a creature, and maybe that same feeling that a lot of us had for, spoiler alert, jump 20 seconds ahead if you don't want to hear this, uh, seeing the dragon in the distance in Breath of the Wild, they're one of the like mythical mm, yeah. scaled beasts. Like That feeling of seeing something that enormous and far away and know that maybe you could bail out of your mm-hmm. your landed uh, target in order to go pursue this other one because it only comes by once every like 10 rotations or something. Some very sci-fi term, obviously. <laughs> yeah, this this idea that the, the real valuable ones are very rare and uh, you're lucky if you get the chance to, or, you know, even I always think like you communicate animation-wise something is large by it moving slowly but that combination of things being large and slow make them the easiest targets to hit and so that seems like you know maybe it just takes more time to take one of those big ones down they're easy to land on but maybe there's extra challenges maybe there's other creatures that are on its back and so you're kind of entering a devil may cry like arena of uh, of creatures you have to fight off before you can even attempt to take the first one down maybe it uh, naturally descends from the air because it needs to like cool off in the water every once in a while. And, you know, you're losing altitude the longer you take on uh, to defeat this, this one. So maybe there's some sort of a trade-off to make these slower, bigger enemies more difficult. I was totally going to head there too. I, you know, the large creatures that have smaller creatures on them just to survive. But I yeah. like the idea of... Maybe um, the smaller creatures that are in the sky, you have an advantage landing on a creature, right? Potentially Mm -hmm. where it can't quite attack its back or maybe it has a harder time or something like that. I love the idea of making it so that you actually, if you land on one of the large creatures, the creatures that would have been or the smaller creatures that would have been above you are landing on that creature's back and you're dealing with them at a completely different power level. So like now you have to deal with their like legs and sort of bottomy stingy bits and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I also like, you know, for these smaller creatures, you could almost treat them like these small planets in Super Mario um, Galaxy where you can, where there's kind of, there's things to do on all, and so you're always trying to like rotate and move around it. It's it's a game of positioning. Maybe there's um, uh, like danger zones that it can move all around its body to, you know, it can reposition its head to try to peck at you. And so you have to get to the other side. And so you're you're playing defensively as well as offensively. You know, I don't want to just be like tearing through like a uh, vertically oriented uh, Dynasty Warriors game. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I like that. That's really cool. I'm trying to think of another wrinkle to add into this thing. Maybe there is, based on visual tells, some creatures that like have a different set of behavior or like a random set of behaviors each time. So you could potentially be passing by the same creature that you you missed on another run, but you see that it's agitated this time around. So 
uh, if you do choose to kind of reciproc- reciprocate and uh, or try and repeat your prior performance, it kind of discourages you from mm. slamming your head against the wall and trying the same creature over and over and over. Yeah, well, um, maybe it's like a regular hunting economy. You know, if you turn in 20 of the same thing, you're not going to get the same payoff as, you know, because at that point they're kind of flush with them. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but anyways, that's all the time we have on that one. Let's go ahead and uh, close the book there. Let's see, what would be a good name for this free-falling monster hunting type of game? It's kind of cheesy, but I do love the sound of something like Monster Skies, uh, almost like a Crimson Skies sort of thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, or, Monster or maybe Skies. Wing, uh, hmm? uh, like, <laughs> Upon Something's Wings, or Winged Skies, or something like that. Winged Skies. It's like a uh, like an airline almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe the first thing was better. Forget everything. I said. <laughs> hey, wing sky isn't bad. Let's let's go with that. That has a nice ring to it. We can move away from monster, which is in the title, to everything. Just about. Anyways, let's get to your pitch. Um, I know that you've got your uh, your mind is probably somewhere else right now. <laughs> You're thinking of what is the closest exit, just in case I have to immediately use it. <laughs> but uh, why don't we uh, give this a shot and see what we come up with? I'm going to do you one better, H. I'm going to fuse the two and tell you that my pitch this week is totally inspired by my 3 a.m. up all night paranoid WebMD Googling. In this game, you play as a tapeworm (laughs) in a, let's call it almost like maybe a Katamari-esque sort of game, uh, where you are inside of somebody's body, they are each level or round there eating different types of foods, different meals, if you will, and different types of foods pass through the body at different speeds, so you are kind of trying to get and eat all the food before it makes all the way through the digestive tract. And if you successfully do so, then you get to grow as the tapeworm and obviously eat larger and more complex food. And I don't know, let's say it it ends in you being a chest burster or something really gross. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and start the clock there then. Uh, Let me just start off before you say anything by saying you're welcome. (laughs) oh of course well that is where i was going to (laughs) start what i'm thinking when i hear this is that uh this kind of um this kind of simple premise uh not to not to put you down like oh what a what a charmingly quaint premise you've come up with (laughs) yeah um like this kind of like really simple distillation of uh, like a core game mechanic would suit an, an arcade type game really well. Um, something like a Pac-Man uh, or this could even be, you know, like a Pac-Man meets Snake almost where, you know, maybe you've got like a maze type environment to uh, to navigate and your body is is continually growing. You don't want to eat your tail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you got to chase around these you know, and, and deviating from Pac-Man, maybe the, uh, maybe all the food items are moving. And so you have to navigate around to eat what you need to eat to get a high score. But, uh, all the, all the while more and more of the maze is becoming closed off to you as you become bigger. Yeah, that's a good idea. I, I think that I was recently, uh, playing some of, uh, Katamari Rerolled and I, somewhere in my mind, uh, I, 
lost all muscle memory for how that game controls. Yeah, was it in between <laughs> playing it back in like 2001 and playing it now, or was it like in the middle of a session you just like lost the ability to control it? Um, no, now, like I'm I'm getting back on board, but I definitely lost it in the in, in intervening years, and I kind of okay. like when I came back to it, I was like, wait a minute, did I even like this game? And then I was like, no way, I do. <laughs> the second the music hits you, I was like, okay, I do. Yeah, that does it. <laughs> and then you see all the like strange interstitial cutscenes. But <laughs> I was thinking if if the controls of controlling the tapeworm were kind of interesting like that where you had to articulate two joysticks that the game snake pass also came to mind a little bit where maybe the tapeworm itself doesn't have a ton of agency it needs sort of a a surface to glide along or you know a a ridge Mm. or a bump to crawl up and so you would have to be a little bit more creative depending on how the food is coming or or where the the food is is flowing from like maybe food is a lot more hectic to catch when it's straight out of the stomach and in the small intestines or wherever it goes next this is that's terrible i should, i should have done some <laughs> research before i did that um but you know the sooner you start obviously the harder is you know i guess maybe you'd want it reversed right the the latter is the hardest or maybe you're yeah you're incentivized to get the most up front because it's coming at you really fast and if you can manage it um, you can have a really clean run but once something gets by you it's we'll like talk about com- clean runs in this instance I don't know. <laughs> clean, clean runs um, letting something get by you get by you is like compoundingly bad right um, it's the equivalent of the line with two missing pieces in Tetris. Um, that just ends up murdering you once you let some of that stuff build up. So I was thinking about uh, trying to come up with like interesting movement schemes and maybe being confined to certain pathways like you were suggesting. Uh, It could be like a, I was thinking about like sliding and how we don't see that a lot in video games. I was also thinking about about almost like a pinball type of mechanic could be interesting. Uh, it would be kind of funny to turn the insides of a person into essentially a glorified pin, um, pinball table. Mm. And you have various little flappers or whatever the, the paddles, I guess they are, uh, the um, whatever, a technical term for the things that propel pinballs upwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was, I was thinking like, what would a pinball game be like with a non-spherical creature and how could that be interesting? Uh, I don't know. There, there's a lot of ideas out there. We don't have to pursue any of them, but uh, you know, this, this idea of not having like one-to-one control over where you're going is kind of interesting. Yeah. More importantly, it could be very gross, which I think is one of the yeah, top right. tier <laughs> things about this game. Yeah. And, and maybe the, the, you know, I think that as the sort of worm travels through different parts of the body that you could deal with different sorts of physics in each section. So maybe you do have like the in the stomach, if you can get all the way up there, then um, you're a lot more floaty you're a lot more suspended. It takes a lot more time to move around. So you're um, you're constantly under pressure to like, well, it, it takes me forever. It's almost like uh you know, levels of a black hole or something like the further you go, Mm -hmm. the more time is dilated. Um, so you can swim around in the stomach, but as if you spend too much time in there, uh, you're bound to just lose a lot of stuff on the back end. Uh, so (laughs) 
Oh God, this is the worst. <laughs> I know. I, uh, I think I was very young when I saw, was I introduced to the idea that you can eat things that contain worm eggs and worms can grow inside of you. And so since then, it's kind of like always stuck in my mind. Like whenever I get sick or whenever I feel a little weird, it's like, is there a worm inside of me? And it's like always kind of creeped me out in a way. I have the same irrational fear that is that that must be a real thing right like that's so wild because yeah the idea that i think like it's general like sci-fi horror malaise that another organism could be living inside of you Mm -hmm. maybe this game would empower me to feel decent about it of being like of course that's ridiculous because i played this crazy video game that made it so comical that uh, we can we can put interstitial health facts on the loading screens of like a worm is probably not inside <laughs> you. Um, a worm is probably not. <laughs> the most reassuring language possible. You have an eight out of 10 chance of not having a worm inside of you right now. Okay. I know I've pitched it. It's pretty simple. What does eating look like in this or trying to capture the food? Did you ever play what is essentially... Katamari with a giant worm, Nobi Nobi Boy? No. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, the designer of Katamari went on to create, I don't remember whether it was free to play or whether it was, uh, you know, just like a three or $4 purchase on the PlayStation 3, a game called Nobi Nobi Boy, which has an uh, excellent soundtrack as well. If people hear keyboard sounds at this point in the show, it's me furiously Googling. It's less structured than Katamari, but you play as this weird creature that is kind of worm-like in these various type of like sandboxy playground type environments. And there's no real point to the game. You just kind of exist and play with these fun mechanics. You can wrap, uh, you control each end of yourself individually with a different thumbstick. Oh, I'm seeing that. And you can, uh, you can wrap yourself around things. You can even consume things to become longer uh, you know, there's um, there's all sorts of, of ways that you can mess with this world. You can tie various things together and see as they try to pull each other apart. And, um, you know, it's it's very silly. It's not a lot to it, honestly. But, uh, um, I mean, it is Katamari as a worm, so uh, it, it meets <laughs> the description. Yeah, I, at first blush, I was looking at it and thought to myself, damn, somebody already made this game that I just pitched. <laughs> but I, I do think one mechanic that I would potentially steal or modify uh, for this pitch is the idea if there is a <laughs> not particularly well-chewed piece of food, mm-hmm. um, maybe the worm can wrap itself around it to kind of compress it down. Yeah, there we go. And or can uh, break it in half or something. Yeah, break it up and, and make it a lot more manageable to eat. Boy, oh boy, this is, yes, this is disturbing looking to say the least. But if, <laughs> if you could get like this <laughs> Noby Noby Boy, N-O-B-Y, uh, and you kind of make it a little bit more floating in like the endocrine system, maybe it's mm-hmm. Noby Noby Boy plus like Star Fox, and you get yourself <laughs> a very strange feeling game, that, that could be about this pitch. Like a rail shooter. Is that no, that's not what they call it, is it? Yeah, it is, I think right? So yeah, that's yeah, a term? yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> Gosh, think I so. Or, like a or maybe a of, rails shooter. Uh, um, yeah, but yeah, you're there. Of like a yeah, you know, time crisis and house of the dead. Like that's a, I'm pretty sure it's a rails. I don't know why I'm doubting myself all of a sudden. Man, maybe <laughs> I contracted something. Yes, but uh, it's like when when Star Fox, you kind of hit those points where you like 
enter into that planet right before you fight Andros and you kind of go in the tube or whatever. Mm -hmm. You yeah. just start <laughs> at the top of the digestive tract. You hatch in the stomach each level. Oh, oh, this is terrible. And then you're kind of, it's a race to the finish quite literally. And it's about how uh, you get measured in length or something by the end of the run. We have to close this one down now. <laughs> I, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, why don't we uh, give it a title? How about? Why don't we just keep it simple? Upset stomach. Okay. Upset stomach. Tapeworm rhapsody. The ballad of Johnny Tapeworm. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very nice. <laughs> uh, we have a community submission today. Can you believe that? I I yeah, can't. Uh, yeah, I know. These people are still writing us. Even after we expressly tell them not to every single week. <laughs> That's right. This is your fault. This show keeps happening. Oh. Hey, you know what? Though, I will say this in terms of community write-ins, I'm seeing our pile of papers here get exceptionally low. We are ready for more write-ins. Yes, but please don't write us in. <laughs> no, not at all. But if you do... We wouldn't And we will sad. read it on the show and we will make it into a real video. <laughs> That's games. right. If you write in, we'll be forced to keep doing more episodes of this show. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, we love it. Anyways, this comes from our uh, second time contributor, Chesney Mooncalf, who says, hello, me again. How about civilization, but in reverse? You start off in the space age on Alpha Centauri and find your way back to Earth, where it's a race to destroy all of your universities and libraries, forget everything you ever knew, and the winner is the first civilization to become cavemen. So kind of like modern politics, then. Oh, yes. I, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, this is an interesting challenge. Um, thinking about it at first, it's like, I don't know, it's... Uh, it seems too easy, but then when I think about the logistics of it, it's like, actually, how do we actually eradicate knowledge within an entire civilization? So let's give it a shot. Let's uh, start the clock and see where we go. Well, first, I have to say, Chesney, this is incredibly, the, the pitches coming from the community lately have been increasingly, increasingly good. And mm. this one is devastatingly simple in its, <laughs> its premise. Here's what it makes me think of. Um, I, I talk about Star Trek, The Next Generation, upon occasion in this show. And there's an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation, where there's some kind of virus on board the ship and members of the crew are de-evolving uh, hmm. down to base species of their native planet. I think, uh, and, and of course, like chaos ensues, people become less and less coherent, but it's happening slowly, which I, I imagine it's happening in an even slower scale in civilization. But my mind starts to think, what if some of that de-evolution is through the interface for the player, right? Because the interface is oh, the ultimate yeah. empowerment of the player in civilization. And I, I know in a way, this is just a pitch of saying, what if we made it incredibly frustrating to play civilization? <laughs> Imagine the tech tree became like less and less clear. There was more like fog around your decisions and you feel your civilization regressing. Like <laughs> you, you go to build, uh, you know, what you anticipate is going to be your next building is suddenly unavailable. So you, you want to kind of like build buildings, you know, you need in the late game, like sooner. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
because you're trying to say, okay, well, I know I'm going to need that thing eventually, even though it's not economical for me to build it now. Having one, assuming it doesn't get destroyed, will mean I have one when no one has the knowledge to build one. I think it's difficult to start a game with a ton of resources and then take resources away and to keep that interest curve still trending upwards. You know, I was thinking as uh, a different angle on this, that you could be playing as a government that's trying to control the spread of information. I think naturally that brings up kind of Orwellian pictures of governments trying to keep the populace stupid so that Mm. they'll vote in the way that they want them to vote. Um, But, you know, taking it in a different direction, there's a book that I read back in university called Pontypool Changes Everything. Do you know that one? No. This is by uh, Tony Burgess, and it's essentially a zombie novel. But the way that zombieism spreads is by, I'm thinking, I think there's a certain like phrase that is so kind of mimetic and so, so mnemonic in a way that it infects a person's mind. And if somebody comes in contact with this idea or this phrase or whatever it is that, uh, that spreads this, it kind of like destroys their mind from within and they're reverted to a, a lesser state. And so, you know, maybe there's some sort of a, um, similarly, some sort of a outbreak of a disease or some sort of degenerative state of being that is spread through certain pieces of knowledge as the government essentially you have to protect your people you know you're not trying to misinform them you are trying to actually do what's best for your nation so you are still kind of playing as as good guys um but you have to destroy the centers of knowledge and wipe out all traces of certain pieces of knowledge to try to protect your people from. And then as uh, as the game goes on, the infected knowledge begins to spread to more and more things. And so you're trying to almost like um, like one of those games about trying to control the spread of a disease across the world. Uh. You're trying to to control the spread of infected information and knowledge. And so, you know, you're trying to... It's interesting. To reduce its ability to spread without crippling your nation. <laughs> I was going to say, now we've gone into Fahrenheit 451 a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. But so, less malicious, you know, <laughs> fair enough. What if, you know, I, maybe this will feel unfair in a way because obviously you want players to have choice and agency and be able to predict what's going to happen. But I, I wonder if there's some version of, your tech tree in a civilization game being a minefield. And Hmm. so you have to kind of explore the map and hunt down these, uh, whether they're advanced or ancient (laughs) um, centers of knowledge, like you put it. And each time you discover one, it contains some piece of information that you yourself learn. Like, oh, if my people know about this or learn about this, this is going to increase our infection rate in our cities or something like that. Hmm. Interesting. So you have to make these decisions. Perhaps there's, um, or, you know, this even can kind of come from like a bloodborne angle where there is knowledge of these kind of Lovecraftian beings and uh, you have a lot to potentially gain from them, especially as your culture becomes less dependent on technologies. You start to take technology away. 
yeah. um, and reverts to more kind of like mystical types of thinking. There are kind of darker uh, mystical forces at work. There's demons, there's aliens, whatever it is that you choose to present them as. And, uh, you know, potentially introducing some more demonic elements into your society can make certain aspects of it easier. Uh, but of course you're incurring the risk of, um, you know, cults breaking out or demonic activity, you know, there's sacrifices or, you know, just whatever it is, these negative effects that are presented on society. That's cool. That's cool. And so like a civilization also has sort of like a population spawn rate, like the chance of a great person uh, happening is a thing in civilization. And maybe the chance of an infected person is something Mm. that cities have a chance to generate based on um, maybe how close they are to other cultures. Like if they, cause like information spread is what you want to stop. Right. Uh, so mm-hmm. almost if there are either AI or player civilizations that are trying to, maybe they have opposite agendas. Maybe they, you can play as the quote infected or something. And they're just trying to get that kind of cultural victory. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, spread out, get that bubble nice and big. We only have one or two cities. If you have a city too close there, then you you end up having cities like crumble and fall because they just gained access to this information. And they either become part of the other player's will very much like in civilization fashion or you lose control of them in some way. Now, I've played a bit of civilization in my time, but um Never to the point where I became an expert in the series. Have you ever had a religious victory in uh, Civilization? I've never had a religious victory in Civilization. I I rarely have seen... I usually play Civilization with my brothers against the AI. And I've mm-hmm. rarely seen a Civ game that did not devolve into people sending <laughs> nuclear weapons at each other. Okay, well, I'm wondering if there's something to be learned. And obviously... Neither of us can get us there. Uh, but um, if there's something to be learned by this uh, this interesting paradigm of the religious victory that has been set up by the civilization games, and this idea that spreading an idea uh, can yeah. be enough to kind of culturally persuade an entire other um, nation. I think it it has the mechanics of it in civilization manifest in you have to kind of start manufacturing like profits or that you manufacture mm-hmm. uh, missionaries and just start sending them to other people's cities. So maybe the, the missionaries are the sort of, <laughs> there's a constant flow of missionaries that you're trying to, or something not called missionaries that you're trying to kill or keep away from your cities because it's just kind of uh, a matter of time before they get there. And the, the infected slash missionary number is like constantly growing. They're wild occurring phenomena. And uh, as you encounter them, you kind of have to nip them in the bud. You're at war with the environment as well as the other players. So it's interesting, you know, thinking back to a time, uh, you know, a much simpler time before modern technology when a missionary going to a village could essentially, you know, just by one person speaking to, you know, the, the, people of the village and in word of mouth spreading could make a huge difference. But, you know, nowadays, if you were in the position where you're trying to keep an idea out of your nation, you'd have to go to pretty extreme lengths. You'd, I mean, pretty soon off the bat, you'd have to pretty much eradicate the internet because ideas get through the internet 
good and bad, you know, without any kind of regulation. So, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's a, you get a lot of resources and you can progress quickly if the internet is still active, but, uh, you know, obviously it's your biggest source of risk. And so, you know, maybe you can kind of, uh, you can kind of sidestep the issue by censoring the internet, kind of like China does. Maybe you outright ban the internet so that you're safer. You only have to kind of physically patrol your borders and make sure that all the in, uh, imports are clean, imported books and such. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the more that you kind of fortify your nation, the more that you pull away from the other nations in the world, the less you gain, obviously, because you're not working together with the other nations, you're isolating, but, uh, you know, the safer you are from these, uh, these bad ideas, which I guess we are kind of pitching a, uh, conservative ideal there, but, um, you know, <laughs> in a world where ideas just keep are people actually... away from these damn ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, we're out of time. Uh, that, that's an interesting, I think this is going to be on my mind for a long time. That's a, a deceptively simple premise that has no easy answers. Definitely stays with you. Cool. Well, let's give it a name. How about... Well, this probably is taken, but the very first word that comes to my mind is decivilization. <laughs> decivilization. That's not bad. Yeah, Some, I'm okay with that. Something about it is punchy. Yeah, deciv. Right. Well, um, that was uh, from Chesney Mooncalf again. Thank you for writing in, and we encourage everyone else to write in as well. If you would like to, then you can um, at any time you like with your own video game pitch pitch us a video game that already exists and see if we take it in a different direction. I don't know. We never tried that before. <laughs> let's, uh, let's try to make Mario 64, but nothing like it is right now. Well, got it. Anyways, whatever you want to see us do, then, uh, go ahead and pitch that to playwrightcast.com slash pitch, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast or email us playwrightcast at gmail.com. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song. Hello world off the album, blue noise and let's go out with a miniature idea today uh today i'm going to be uh taking us out with uh you play the social media manager of a fast food restaurant and you have to uh find snarky comebacks to everything that happens on social media <laughs> love it cool well we'll see you next week bye <laughs>